If your home was like mine, between 1968 and 2001, we all welcomed someone into our home. Little did we know that he had a seminary degree and was an ordained minister, but he didn't come into our home uh, holding a Bible and trying to preach biblical messages. Matter of fact, when he came into our home, he came in with a song. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Yeah. Little did we know, Mr. Rogers had a seminary degree and was an ordained Presbyterian minister. And he would come into our home and uh, teach us about how we were special. But his big challenge was for us always to be a good neighbor. Won't, or would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? The whole issue and premise of the show was really, again, to kind of build into us a sense that we are unique and also that we are to treat others with kindness and respect. But that message, though it was true, is not new. That message goes back to the Bible itself. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Luke chapter 10. We're going to pick up in verse number 25. Luke chapter 10. And verse number 25. Luke 10, 25 says this. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, on his journey, came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. With that, let's pray together.
Lord, thank you for your word and speak to us today on loving others. In your name, amen. We're living on mission. And as we are living on mission, we are called to love God and to love others. Jesus here is confronted by an expert in the law. And it says that he came to test him. If you notice, it specifically says he came to test him. He is not coming with a pure motive to ask an honest question. This guy is coming to test him. He is an expert in the law. Now, you think uh, an expert in the law, he's a lawyer. And pretty much when you turn on TV, especially daytime or late at night, you can see the lawyers, you know. There's Brown and Crouppen, there's Morgan and Morgan, there's Kaufman and Townsley. Some of you may not have been around to appreciate the reality of the Three Stooges, but they had a law firm called Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. And I thought, now that is the name of a law firm, Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. The, the, the picture is, is that this guy was not a, a lawyer in the sense of looking at civil law in, 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 uh, in order to try to sue or do those kind of things. Instead, this guy is an expert in old, the Old Testament. And he comes to Jesus and asks the question, what must I do? His salvation is going to be based on works. What must I do? And Jesus says, okay, what does the law say? How do you interpret it? And he says, well, I'm supposed to love the Lord my God with all my heart. Uh, with all my soul, with all my strength, and with all my mind, and to love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus says, man, that's the right answer. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, tells us that we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Leviticus nineteen eighteen tells us that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus says, well, go do it. And the problem is, is this man can't do it. Just like none of us can come to that point, that point where we love God perfectly and we love others flawlessly. It just doesn't happen in our life. None of us are there. And that's why we need Jesus. And that's why Jesus is driving home this point. Hey, if you think you can live good enough to get to heaven on your own, then go do it. But the guy knows he can't do it. And can I tell you, you can't do it. You can't. None of us can. The Bible tells us and challenges us with the fact that all of us have sinned. We've missed God's perfect goal and plan to love him with all of our heart and to love others. But this guy wants to justify himself then. And so he he knows, you know, maybe maybe I don't want to deal with the love God issue, but I'm going to deal with the love neighbor issue. So he asked the question, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus picks up on that, who is my neighbor? And he begins to tell him a story. He tells him about a story of a man who goes from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now, no matter which way you leave Jerusalem, whether you leave north, south, east, or west, you're always going down. In Psalm 120 through 134, there are songs of ascent that people sang on their way up to Jerusalem because you are always going up to Jerusalem. But now, this guy is going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. It was about a 17-mile road, and on this road, you would descend about 3,300 feet. It was also a very dangerous road. There were caverns along the sides of the road and there were narrow ravines, caverns where people would hide, narrow areas where you would be trapped. And they also called this the bloody way. This was the name of this road. So he tells the story. There's a guy who leaves Jerusalem and he's headed down to Jericho and then he falls among robbers and they beat him and strip him and they leave him half dead. Then 
the priest comes by. We would presume, leaving Jerusalem, that the priest had just been involved in something spiritual. I mean, at the temple. What was the priest's job? The priest's job was to represent God before the people and to represent the people before God. He would have been the one who was offering sacrifices. And the priest sees this guy laying over on the side of the road and he crosses to the other side. Then comes a Levite. A Levite worked at the temple as well. He was the assistant to the priest. He would have helped with the sacrifices. He would have helped with the cleanup and the preparation of things. And the Levite sees him. It gives the picture almost of the Levite coming up upon him and seeing him. And then he decides to cross the road. Now, at this point, you can imagine as the audience is listening to Jesus... It's, all right, the big religious guy, the big uh, priest is, didn't stop, and the Levite didn't stop. Now, what's Jesus going to do? He is going to make a hero out of the average guy. The average Jewish guy is going to come by, and this guy, thou, is going to be the hero. And Jesus throws a complete curveball. If any of you have ever played baseball before and and you're in the batter's box and you're expecting one pitch and they throw you another pitch and you just absolutely freeze. It's like, I think everybody just absolutely froze and he says this. And there was this Samaritan who came by. Now, to understand the background of Samaritans, about 700 years before Jesus stepped into the earth as we know it now, the Assyrians had captured the 10 northern tribes of Israel. And when they captured the 10 northern tribes of Israel, what they did was they took some of the Jewish people and they moved them to Assyria and they took some of the Assyrians and they moved them over to uh, the area of the northern Israel. And guess what happened? Their kids grew up together and, and little Miss Jewish girl found little Mr. Assyrian boy and they got married. And then the Jewish boy found an Assyrian girl and they got married. So Samaritans were considered half-breeds. They were considered dogs to those who considered and thought themselves as pure Jews. Now, they did worship. They worshiped the same God. They went to a different place to worship, but they worshiped the same God. And actually, many of them believed the Old Testament. So this Samaritan, however, shows up who the, the pure Jews would think, man, this guy is a half-breed. He is, is uh, racially, man, just somebody we wouldn't touch. We wouldn't even go through a Samaritan area. And this guy shows up on the scene and he stops. And he sees this man and he has compassion and he takes his oil and wine and places it in his sores and he bandages him up and he puts him on his animal, and he takes him to the city, and there he presumably spends the night taking care of him, and the next day he gives the innkeeper money and says, if I owe you anything else, I'll be back in a few days. I'll pay for it. And he asked this man, who was the good neighbor? It's interesting here. If you look, you get the nuance of this. He doesn't say the Samaritan. Because a Jew will not even acknowledge a Samaritan. He says, the one who showed mercy. And then Jesus said, go and do likewise. Though we don't love God and love our neighbors as a way to earn God's favor and to merit his favor, 
We are still called to be people who love God. Matter of fact, now on this side of the cross, when we understand what Jesus did for us, we should love him. And when we recognize God lives in us, we should love others. And so the challenge is still there for us, but the motivation is different. This man was asking the question, what can I do to get to heaven? And now we say, Jesus, after all you've done for us, man, we want to love you and we want to love others. And we are called, challenged, and commissioned now to love others. That, that, that last, those last words of Jesus in Luke 10, go and do the saying. We are called to love God. And we are called to love others. But I want to give you two thoughts on that. First off, as we think about that. To love your neighbor as yourself. First, you must be filled with God's love. To love your neighbor as yourself, you must be, you, you, you need to be filled with God's love yourself. Now, if, if you're taking notes, there's a couple of verses that you need to know. One is Romans 5, 5. It tells us that the love of God is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom God has given to us. In the King James, it may have said the love of God is shed abroad. The picture is, is that God has poured his Holy Spirit into our life. And he has poured his love into our life through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the agent of God's love in our life. And if we're going to love others, then we've got to be filled with the Spirit. And what are the signs of being filled with the Spirit? We bear the fruit of the Spirit. And the first fruit of the Spirit is love. So we are called to love our neighbors, but that we can't do that on our own. I don't know about your love, but my love can be kind of fickle and limited. My love can have too much of the, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. If you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you kind of stuff. And the Lord here is calling us to a love that is supernatural and infinite that I do not possess on my own. So I need the love of God poured into my heart through the Holy Spirit. I need to be bearing the Spirit. Jude 21 would tell us to keep ourselves in the love of God. And then over in John chapter 15... In John 15, we have the word abide or the word remain. That's where we get the name for the college ministry, abide. It gives the picture of a a vine connected to a branch. And the vine is supposed to abide in the branch. We stay connected. We remain together. We continue in. And Jesus uses that word abide or remain numerous times in John 15. And he comes down to John chapter 15 and verse number 9. And he says, as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you remain or abide in my love abide in his love so if i'm going to love my neighbor as myself i've got to abide or remain in his love and then he goes on in verse number 10 to say if you keep my commands you'll remain in my love just as i have kept my father's commands and remain in his love we've got to fill ourselves with god's love And there are three things that happen when we fill ourselves with God's love. Three things. I think the Samaritan pictures in our life and the priest and the Levite, they miss altogether. If I am filled with God's love, there are three challenges before me. First off, you've got to keep your eyes on mission. If I'm filled with God's love, we keep our eyes on mission. Keep your eyes on mission. That means we're just looking around. 
We understand we're not just here to pay the bills. We're not just here to get our kids grown up and out of the house. We're not just here to enjoy retirement. We're not just here. We're here with a divine purpose to live on mission for God. And so we've got to have eyes that are scanning around and looking for opportunities and listening to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to us about what we're seeing. Keep your eyes on mission. It's interesting. The Levite saw the man. The priest saw the man. But instead of looking and seeing, they just said, ah, we're just going to slide over away from the scene altogether. We have to look. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 36, Jesus, it says that he looked at the crowds and he felt compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. When was the last time you looked at somebody and thought, that person is an eternal, has an eternal soul that will live in heaven or hell forever? Oh, we get so caught up. And I can get so caught up in the immediacy of all going on in my life. And I miss, Jesus had compassion. They were like sheep without a shepherd. But it's not just a matter of seeing. Then we need to come to a place where we feel. We feel this heartfelt compassion. This is the difference. It's one thing to see, it's another thing to feel. Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he Felt compassion. The word compassion that is used there, it comes from a word that means bowels or kidneys or intestines. It gives a picture, and every kid we just went, oh, gross. Uh, that gives a picture of feeling, feeling this tug down deep in the gut of my stomach. I have gut-wrenching compassion on this person in the circumstance that they're facing. Man, I, my heart is broken. There's this compassion that is there. Now compare this with the priest who probably may have thought, man, that guy is very unfortunate. Man, that guy picked the wrong time to walk down this street. Or maybe the priest or Levite, they were, they were preaching, you know, the, the having these self-righteous talks in their mind saying, what was that guy thinking walking down here by himself? I mean, what was he doing? This is a dangerous road. You shouldn't be by yourself. No. Yeah. Man, we're sorry for the misfortune. We're sorry. Uh, man, you were just tough circumstances. They didn't feel anything. But it says that the Samaritan, he saw and he felt compassion. That same word is used in Luke chapter 7 as Jesus runs across a widow. She's a widow in the, from the city of Nain and her only son has died. And it says Jesus had compassion on her. It's the same word that is used in Luke chapter 15. When the prodigal's uh, son comes home and he comes to meet the father. It says that the father runs out and he has compassion on him. Now this kid smells like he's been in the pig pen because that's where he's been. His clothes are probably dirty. He's probably dirty. And yet we get the picture that... This father didn't care. 
his heart was so engaged. He had compassion on him. One of the big challenges of our world today is that we. We get bombarded with so much news. If you check the news this morning, a shooting out in California, protests in Atlanta, we, we see all of these tragedies all around us. And if we're not careful, we'll get callous. We've seen it so much. We'll get cold. We'll just feel indifferent. We, we have to be careful. The good Samaritan had compassion. And then we not only keep our eyes on mission and we not only feel compassion, but we act. We act with, with a sense of, of God-like works. We show godly works. We act in godly care. That's the picture. We act with this sense of godly compassion and care. As we think of this, this Samaritan, again, notice and, and just think about this moment. The Samaritan has compassion. He goes over, he bandages his wounds. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. He pours olive oil and wine on. He puts him on his own animal. You have to think, man, you got to get your arms around this guy to lift him up. Man, I'm putting forth some energy and effort. And he takes him to the inn where he presumably spends the night taking care of him and then pays. John MacArthur said that the amount that he paid would have taken care of his bill anywhere from three weeks to two months, depending on where and how much it would have cost. Three weeks to two months. Act with godly care. Can I challenge you? As, as we have been challenged over the last couple of weeks to, to, to remember and recognize that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And, and remember two weeks ago, I challenged each of us. Man, what if we just went out and intentionally and purposefully showed one good work to others? What if we just made a commitment in our life, in our life that in the name of Jesus, I'm going to do one good thing for him? Maybe God would lead someone across our path that we could show his love to. Robbie Bannister was an educator. And he was very strict on his schedule. 6.45 a.m., man, he is out the door. But as he was getting ready to go out the door, he forgot something. He ran back in the house, took him just a minute to get everything going, and he left a minute late. And as he's leaving a minute late, he's at the intersection where he normally is a couple minutes late. And there witnesses a road rage accident and just feels the tug of the Lord that he needs to get involved. He sees the two cars and one's gone up onto the curb and he pulled over in front of the car and that's when he realized in this road rage, road rage accident, the car that went up on the curb hit a 13-year-old boy who was walking his little sister to the school bus he said, immediately, I just sprung into action. And having been trained in CPR for over 20 years, he said, I just 
went to work and not even thinking. And he said, I got started. And then I'm continuing to make compressions with one hand as I'm trying to call 911 on the other. And finally, the paramedics show up and he walks away and thinks, man, God has put me at just a moment at this time that it was his sovereign will that he was a couple minutes late that day so he would be there at that moment. I I wonder, sometimes we get so aggravated about the inconveniences of our life that maybe we're too too aggravated about the inconveniences to remain sensitive to the Spirit and see if there's a greater calling and a higher purpose that I need to remain sensitive to the Lord about. As we think of this loving our neighbor as ourself, we've got to be filled. God's love's got to be filled and flowing in us and through us. But secondly, we find to love your neighbor as yourself, you also have to fight self. You have to fight self. And here's why. Self says me first. Self says me first. Look out for me. Look out, take care of yourself. You don't want to get involved in that. You don't want to go there. And here the picture is is that there's a priest and a Levite, and maybe they had just done their religious duty, and maybe they were tired, but they were willing to cross the road and not get involved. And now the Lord Jesus drives home the picture. When we live with self first, me first, we're going to miss a lot of opportunities to do good works and impact people in his name. So I've got to do a little fighting in my own heart and life. There's four things that I have to fight if I'm going to say, no, it's not going to be me first. First off, I have to fight apathy. I have to fight apathy. Apathy says, hey, man... uh, I'm, I just don't care. I'm just indifferent. I'm just cold. I'm callous. Look, that's, that's, not on, that's not on my radar, and I'm just sliding through. Apathy says, look, don't care. And listen, we've heard enough, and you've maybe been hurt enough. Maybe you've been taken advantage of before. Maybe you helped somebody, and it came back to haunt you. Maybe it came back to hurt you. Maybe somebody lied to you. The challenge is, is that we don't allow the coldness and callousness of our own heart to miss opportunities that God has for us. So the picture is, is we have to fight apathy. We not only have to fight apathy, but we have to fight fear. Fear says, I've never done that before. (laughs) Could you imagine the priest and the Levite? Maybe they were afraid. Man, if we start helping this guy, somebody's going to come out and get us. Maybe they're afraid. What if we do something wrong? That's why we have what is called Good Samaritan laws. That if you're trying to, that, that they want you to help somebody and if you harm them and you break a rib in the moment that you're trying to perform CPR, they can't come back and, and sue you. There's, there is fear that is involved, especially when it comes to that next point that we have to fight comfort. Comfort and fear go together. I have to fight this sense of comfort that says, look, I'm in my comfort zone here. 
Man, that's outside my bubble. I've never done that before. I've never been put in that position, position before. And now it's kind of uncomfortable and kind of scary. But the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. That means that, yes, we have to use our common sense, but yes, we don't allow fear to rule in our life and we don't allow comfort to rule in our life. And often as we get older, especially, man, our comfort bubble becomes a safe cocoon for us. Man, we don't want to get out of that comfort zone too often. And we don't want to stay out of there very long. And can I tell you, having a salvation conversation with someone can be uncomfortable. Talking to Jesus, uh, talking to, to someone about Jesus can, can be one of those moments that can strike fear into us. But the Lord calls us to do it. And Jesus reminds us in the context of the Good Commission, Lo, I am with you always. The same God who loved us sent his spirit in us. The spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And we can overcome fear and comfort. And then there's fight convenience convenience. Man, this is going to cost me time if I help this guy. Man, this is going to take my wine and my oil if I help this guy. Man, I'm going to have to walk as I put this guy on my animal if if I'm going to help him. Man, I'm going to have to pay for his hotel bill. And you can go on and on and on and say, man, the priest and the Levite just said, hey, we're going to live it conveniently. And this man says, no, I'm willing to be inconvenienced of my time. I'm willing to be inconvenienced of my stuff. I'm willing to be inconvenienced of my animal and I'll walk. I'm willing to be inconvenienced of my money and I'll pay. That's the picture. So there's a battle that goes on. And this goes on every day. I wish we could say, you know, man, I'm, I'm going to conquer this one time and it'll be over. But that's just not the way this works. Every day you step into a world where there are people that are hurting around you. And it's not just people that are hurting. It's people that are hurting and the Lord's stirring in your heart to do something. And as he stirs in your heart, you have a choice to make. Am I going to choose? Apathy, fear, comfort, convenience, or am I going to love my neighbor as myself? When Fred Rogers was given a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, he told the reporters there as an interview, and basically that message would be out to others. He said, look, don't strive to amass fortunes. Don't, don't seek to become popular. Don't try to get your name out there. Instead, make the world a better place by consistently doing small acts of kindness. As believers, we are called to do good works because that's what we were made for. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We do good works for his glory. And that's why you're here. And when the Lord says you're done, he'll take you home. But until then, love God. Love your neighbor. With that, let's pray.
Lord. Lord, stir in our heart to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor. God, there are people in our path that we'll cross this week. Would you, through the prompting of your Holy Spirit, give us that nudge and may we be obedient to follow through to show compassion, and to act with godly care. Give us eyes to see, a heart that feels your heart, actions that show Jesus makes a difference. God, speak. Show your hand. In your name we pray. Amen.